It's a Thursday night in August, and hundreds of people have come to the Thunder Road International Speed Bowl in Barrie to take part in a Vermont tradition. Oh yeah, I raced a lot of times at Thunder Road. I've had good days and bad days. This is Beaver Dragon, a legendary auto racer from Milton. Dragon winning last night at Plattsburgh, trying to put together two in a row. It's Dragon on the outside, number 99, Matt Miller on the inside as they battle for the lead. Up, 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 up goes Dragon, back on the, oh, they jam on the backstretch. Thunder Road was not one of my favorite tracks. I won some shows there, but not as many as I won in other places. I just, the bigger tracks, I seem to do better on bigger tracks than I did at smaller tracks. Why do you think that is? I like the speed. I know some guys that I, I won't mention their names, but that I raced with, and if we went to like a mile track or something like that, we beat them every time because they felt they were going too fast. And too fast wasn't fast enough for me. People have raced cars in the Green Mountains since 1903. There were racetracks in every corner of the state, at fairgrounds and farmers' backfields, and finally at dozens of dedicated racetracks. Thousands of Vermonters have been drivers, mechanics, track officials, and spectators at those tracks over the past 115 years. Today, we'll hear their voices. This is Before Your Time, presented by the Vermont Historical Society, the Vermont Humanities Council, and VT Digger. I'm your host, Lovejoy. Every episode, we go inside the stacks at the Vermont Historical Society to look at an object from their permanent collection that tells us something unique about our state. Then we take a closer look at the people, the events, or the ideas that surround each artifact. Racing is known for its personalities, and for the past two years, the Vermont Historical Society has been assembling an exhibit about auto racing in Vermont called Anything for Speed. It's on display right now. They've also collected a new archive of oral histories with some of the sport's most legendary figures. Today, we'll hear excerpts from those interviews. Our organizer and Motor Racing Network anchorman, Ken Squire, was behind Friday night to call a season opener. Let's listen to Ken describe what happens. It's impossible to talk about racing in Vermont without talking about Ken Squire. Bobby Brunel in the lead. Markham in second. There they are, going down out of turn two. Markham in the 09 pulls up on the back stretch. Here comes Bobby Dragon in the 71 for the lead. Ken grew up in the radio business and fell in love with cars at a young age. He went on to become a racing announcer and commentator for CBS Sports. And last year he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. There was no racing during World War II. All, all the racing in the country got shut off. At the conclusion of World War II, the first national championship automobile race. This was when the American Automobile Association, AAA, sponsored the deals, or sanctioned the deals, I should say, was a national championship race in Essex Junction, Vermont. Why, I have no 
remembrance. But by that time, long about 10 years old, I think it was 45, <clears throat> I had my heroes, and, and one of them had to be Ted Horn. And Ted Horn came from California and raced at Essex, and uh, he won by four or five feet. He was everything, I think, to everybody that appreciated racing. That's not fair to say. But, but, but he was a big name, and his equipment was always up to snuff. And, uh, and that was a good track in Essex. Not only did it set some pretty amazing records for harness racing, but that track was Kentucky clay, and it was super to watch those cars on it. One of the earliest racers to find success on Vermont's new stock car tracks was New Hampshire native Harold Hardlock Hannaford. He didn't race much into the modern era, but he was the first winner of Thunder Road's annual Milk Bowl. I raced in Boltonville, Vermont. That's where the high school used to be. I guess it's still there. You know where Boltonville is? Where the high school is off to the side. They had a track there. I raced there for a while. Is small dirt track. Then any any preparation other than just run around till they made a track, just just on dirt, you know. They had this fellow by the name. I don't think he's alive. It make any difference? Not everybody called him Dirty Dick. And we was racing up to Boltonville, and he was in the race. And he had a thirty-seven Ford sedan cut off right behind the seat where he drive. He had a great big I-beam over his rear end to help hold it down. And I was in the race, and I kept stopping. Something kept stopping on my car. And back then, hell, hell, all they had was a snow fence or something to keep the people away. Hell, they'd run out on. If the race stopped, they'd run out on the track, too, you know, look everything all over. And I had a shotted wire, but I stopped four or five times before I found out what was wrong with it. But about that time, Dirty Dick was getting sick of being stopped, stopped. He come up to me lots. He said, well, why are you stopping the race all the time? I said, well, I got something wrong in the car. He said, next time you stop it. He said, you ain't stopping it because I'm going to push you right off the track. I said, this isn't any kind of a race. It keeps stopping it. I didn't say anything to him. But I had a brother-in-law and a couple of his buddies with pretty rough, pretty rough characters back in those days. When Dick went back to get in his car and the race three starts, car was gone. And I looked down over the back. I couldn't see the car, but I could see some gray birches, tops of them weaving right back and forth. My brother-in-law and a couple of his buddies had pushed while he was talking to me. They pushed his track down, way down over the track into the gray birches. <laughs> I think they got more kick out of that than they did any of the races. Hannaford passed away in the spring of 2018. Up at Saint Air in in Canada, that was pretty close to the biggest track around here. It was almost a mile. I won a lot of races there, and I had some good days. I had some bad days too. Of course you do, but I won more. I can say I won more than anybody did at Saint Air. Because it, it was it was fast. It was fast. But when you crashed, you crashed big, too. Beaver Dragon from Milton started racing as a teenager, and he became one of the most successful drivers Vermont has ever known. 
He had a long career filled with stunning victories and spectacular crashes and a few near misses. Today, he still lives in Milton and still follows racing. I can remember a day up there we went up for a going to be a big race that day and we were out there practicing before the race when they unloaded the car off the truck the pit crew unloaded the car off the truck and then of course I got in and the steering wheel was already on well during practice I kept telling Larry Lusier my crew chief I said there's something the matter with the steering I don't know what it is there's something wrong with it well was it what's the matter with it he said, I don't I said I don't know I can't put my hands on it but there's something wrong and I'm telling him this while I'm going around the racetrack wide open and the next lap I had gone through the trioval just about wide open and I came to the fourth corner and as you start to turn to go on to the, go through the fourth corner I pulled the steering wheel right off it came right off the shaft, and it wasn't snapped on. And Larry had, when he unloaded the car, just set it back on. And I didn't know it, and I'd been driving it loose, and that's what it was. It was sliding up and down the shaft, and I didn't realize what it was doing. Well, as I came into the fourth corner, apparently I, I let up on the gas, and I pulled back on, I must have pulled back on the steering, and it come right off. I immediately threw it on the floor on the on the passenger side, and I grabbed the shaft with my bare hands, which didn't mount to nothing, and I locked the brakes up, and I slid through the corner all the way onto the straightaway, and I could see the wall coming, the fourth turn wall coming, and here it goes. It's going to wipe it right out. Just as it got to the wall, the car took a big slide. It turned the other way, and it started down the straightaway, and then down toward the inside wall. I stopped about that far from hitting the inside wall. Never hit a thing. All it did was flatten four tires. So I sat there for a minute, and Larry comes on the radio, and he said, what in the hell are you doing? I said, who put the steering wheel on this car? Oh, Jesus, he feels I forgot to snap it on. I said, tell me about it. I said, that was what I was feeling. He said, the steering wheel come off? I said, yeah, it come right off. Wow. And he didn't know what to say. Of course, I, I didn't know what to say either. So Wrecker come picked the car up. We put four brand new tires on it. I won the show that day. <laughs> it could have wiped the whole car out. It, it didn't. <laughs> Beaver's younger brother, Bobby Dragon, was an extremely successful racer in his own right. He was a disciplined, thoughtful driver who had a team behind him that constantly worked to find new technologies and improvements to his cars. It's how well you're prepared when you arrive at the racetrack. You don't want to spend the night working on the car all night to try and get it ready to race. You want it to be prepared when you got there. And we always managed to stay ahead of, of the curve on that, but my guys were, were that good as far as race setup goes. As far as spring changes, shock changes, whatever it maybe took to make that car a little bit faster in the, in the corners. It wasn't all 
horsepower that was winning races for us at that point in time because we were competing against some pretty stout engines and stuff that were coming out of Montreal that were coming from down in Massachusetts and and, and around the whole region and uh, we were still building our own our own stuff because Bobby Dragon ran so good it made the other competition follow along made racing a better show John Kiefer was an engineer at GE in Burlington and one of the key members of Bobby's racing team. He combined his love of cars with a passion for precision and data. And there are very few people in Vermont today who know as much as he does about race car engines. You know, the improvements that were made on the racetrack, you know what, Catamount and the improvements on Thunder Road had to be made because the cars got better. Cars got better because of teams like my, ourself, Dave Dion. I mean, those guys had a team, uh, Robbie Crouch. I mean, they, they were all fierce competitors. The handling of the car was the key, and, and I, was, I was always comfortable with that. I wasn't much at making, making calls as far as what we needed to make the car better. I, I would tell the guys, Frankie and John specifically, uh, what the car was doing and they would make the calls. We need to go a little bit, a little bit stiffer in the left rear, uh, spring-wise, and so on. And for the most part, uh, they they made it that much better for me every time. Bobby also still lives in Milton, and his son Scott is a highly successful driver too. the backstretch. It's still number 48, Robbie Crouch has 71. Bobby Dragon closes up. Dave Dion runs in third. Carapas looks for room down low. Down goes Carapas on the inside, trying to lunge beneath number 27, Dion, and failing to make the spot. Meanwhile, in turn number four, Bobby Dragon sets up on the outside of 48, Robbie Crouch, and we've got a battle shaping up for the lead. Racing? Oh, what do I like about it? Oh, the challenge of it, it's, it's the greatest challenge I think that you can have because there's so many moving parts. You, know, you have equipment and people and, and other competitors and you know all of, everything has to like fall into place for you to win a race. Um, and it, it just isn't an easy thing to do. Robbie Crouch grew up in Florida, but came to Vermont when he was 19 years old to get more racing experience. In the 1980s, he was nearly unbeatable. You know, I grew up, you know, listening to my father complain about, you know, certain drivers and drivers that he had, and the fact that his car got wrecked. And I was, you know, I was a kid listening to my father, you know, philosophize on racing and listen to what he thought was important for a driver to be. So all those things kind of stuck with me and became, you know, the foundation for my driving. So I knew what a great challenge it was to win a race. And really, that was my goal was to be able to win a race. And I think when I started racing, I knew it was hard and it was even harder than I thought it was going to be. I was questioning whether I would ever win a race or ever be a consistent winner. So, you know, to kind of have that challenge and know what, you know, how big the challenge was is what 
kept me coming back and what I liked about it, but I also was more scared of losing than, I mean, I had a bigger fear of losing and more was more motivated by losing than I was uh, excited about the possibility of winning. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but losing is a great motivator and winning just kind of becomes, I mean, that was the stated goal. So when you, and there's nothing past that, you know, that you can achieve once you, once you win, you've, you've achieved what you can, but losing, there's so many different ways to lose. Robbie holds the record for the most Milk Bowl wins. He still lives in Vermont, and in 2018, he was inducted into the Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. Darla Hart started working for Catamount Stadium and NASCAR North as an intern when she was a teenager. She spent her career in the sport and helped to found the American Canadian Tour in 1986. She was an eyewitness to many of the changes in Vermont racing over the last few decades. It was an interesting time. The first year was great. The second year, NASCAR, we knew NASCAR wasn't going to sit around and just vacillate forever because the Northeast included some, some demographics that were luscious and, and luring to them. So 1987, I believe it was, they came back with a, the Bush North Tour which went somewhat against us. They had a different rules package. And, and I can't tell you at this moment if theirs were, were, their cars were more expensive than ours. I, as I recall, yes, they were, but I had my loyalty, so they were, they were going to be dirty dogs no matter what, in my mind. So they, they grabbed a couple of our drivers. But, you know, Tom always said that if you lose one, you're going to gain two. And that was pretty much true because one of the things that that racing is about is hero worship. But one of the things that keeps it going and keeps it fresh are those guys that are willing to come out and run last or run 15th or take pride in the fact that last week I finished 22nd and this week I finished 15th and next week I want to finish in the top 10. So helping to germinate those new potential stars or new, those new potential um, solid runners was fabulous. So great. You lose one of the guys that's taken all the money off the top of the purse and you gain two other guys that say, now I've got a chance. That was, you know, that was good. That was really good. And through those years, we really developed a much wider pool of drivers and teams. Darla still lives in Waterbury today. Twenty years ago, I didn't have any interest in politics whatsoever, but I was a frustrated business owner, and I thought that uh, they they could use my voice, uh, maybe some of my experiences. So I I ran for office, and I have to say. And my name recognition in this county, I think, was elevated because of my success on the racetrack. It didn't keep me in office, but it helped me get elected. Phil Scott started working on Robbie Crouch's pit crew when he was 16 years old, and later got behind the wheel of his own car. In 2016, he was elected governor of Vermont, after previously serving as lieutenant governor and as a state senator. Just recently, he won a second term as governor. There was a 
young mom that came up to me and wanted to tell me the story about her daughter. I think it was my first race, my first uh, political race. And she said that she woke up on a Tuesday morning on election day and her daughter, who was, uh, I'm going to say, uh, eight, nine years old, uh, came in and said, Mom, Mom, you've got to go in. You've got to go vote today. And she said, well, I intend to vote, uh, but why are you so interested? Mom, you've got to go in and you've got to vote. You've got to vote for Phil Scott. And she said, she looked at her and she said, well, that surprises me because Phil Scott's not one of your favorite drivers. John Donahue is your favorite driver. I'm surprised that you would want me to go vote for Phil Scott. And she said, well, I'm just hoping that if he wins, maybe he'll quit racing. So I thought that everyone has their reasons uh, for voting for you. Uh, but that was probably one. Uh, it didn't come true. I continued to race and uh, continue to race today. In fact, I was able to, uh, to win a race last year as governor, uh, probably the only governor in the, in the U.S. that's accomplished that, uh, which was an amazing feat for me. I was in high school, probably 16, 17 years old. I think the first race I actually went to was at Northfield. And uh, I said, someday I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I did. Lenny Tiger Stockwell grew up on a farm in Tunbridge. And from an early age, he idolized racers like Hardluck Hannaford. After a bad accident, he retired from racing. Now he lives in Braintree and builds engines. His son, Kip Stockwell, was a successful driver in the 1990s and 2000s, and his grandsons are getting ready to move up from go-karts to stock cars. You know, that summer we went oh, probably a dozen times at Northfield, and the next year we started going to Thunder Road pretty regular. You know, I was just an old farm boy. I didn't have a nickel to put into it, but later on I did, and uh, I guess that's where it started. I took my first race car to the to Thunder Road in 1965. I was working at Valley Motor Sales in Bethel, and it was just an old car that was out back, and we hauled it in and stripped it out and put a roll cage in it, and away we went. We was a little late getting to track for the first race, and I went out in a heat race. I didn't have any practice time. And I went down the front stretch, and I don't think I ever lifted going into turn one. And where the uh, pit stand is now, the fence stopped right there, and I went up over the bank, end over end, down over and down. It was quite a start. <laughs> but after that, I calmed down a little bit. I think I raced for seven years, and one year I built five cars. That's how rough it was. I don't know. It still makes the hair stand up on the back of my head when, when I hear a race car start. <laughs> Seventy years later, it's, I don't know. Some people like horses and some people like to go skiing. I wouldn't give a nickel for either one, but you take me to a racetrack and I'm just happy.
Before Your Time is presented by the Vermont Historical Society, the Vermont Humanities Council, and VT Digger. This episode was produced by Amanda Gustin and Mike Dougherty. Thanks to our guests for their time and insights. Thanks also to Thunder Road International Speed Bowl and to Joey Carafas and Greg Gilbert for recordings of the Finish Line radio show. Before Your Time comes out every month. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend to check it out. You can find photos and artifacts related to this episode on our website, beforeyourtime.org. Thanks for listening.